Beautiful listeners, you know we love you, and we appreciate all the support you've given us to this point. If you would like to further support us in our art, in our effort to allow these wonderful conversations to continue to take place, head over to patreon.com slash inside the sound. Beautiful listeners, welcome back inside the sound. This is Michael. And this is Ryan. And we have a special guest today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our beautiful listeners? Yes, hi there. I'm the commander in chief, seven string guitarist, singer, songwriter in classical, crossover, heavy metal, and acoustic music. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Yeah, thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yay. We just <laughs> like throwing to... the ball over here. <laughs> <laughs> you're like back to me. Um, no, we just we're excited to have you. We love we, talking we to you. We really musicians. need the cheer effect, the sound effect. We need. I that. can, I could do that, and then I'll just have it queued up next time, bro. I'll work on that. Right. Or you could too. It's also something you you your mighty brain could handle so much, man. I'm just constantly impressed. You find the coolest people for us to talk to. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, I really um, am grateful. I did get a chance to hear um, some like we sent some music, and I I got to listen to your Takata and Fugue, and it was divine. Uh, it was very very good. Uh, so I I really I'm I'm tickled to death to get to talk to you because I love the classical style. It's what I really grew up on. Um, so um, I'm interested in hearing about your story. Uh, what one of the things we we like to do is, you know, we like to welcome people in the room and like ask about what got them into music and and like essentially what. Well, Ryan, I'm butchering the the origin story question. You do it so much better. I want to bat it over to you now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, well, I want to word it the right way, man. What um, I mean. That's basically it. Uh, could you talk about your origins with the music? Like, when did it all start? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it um, according to my mother, who also is my uh, manager, it started when she was pregnant with me, and I would literally dance inside. I think she could feel me kicking in rhythm in her stomach. Huh. Uh, so you're going like way back to you know me. Um, well, from the very, very beginning, you know, when I was a baby, I would be sitting transfixed in front of the TV and listen to concerts. I would sit for like two hours and not really move and just be completely fixated on whatever I was listening to. Um, so that's what that's what she will be talking about. Personally, of course, I don't remember any of this, <laughs> but uh, but I would say that I was always a very you know big music fan, essentially, and that I would uh, you know do a deep dive into my parents' record collection and listen to all their CDs all types of styles, everything. Uh, I build myself my own microphone, like a Duplo microphone that I would sing into. So music was always clearly, I was just destined to do this type of thing, I would sort of say. 
Um, and I grew up being a music fan, essentially. You know, I was a very big music fan. Um, I was into pop music mainly, I would say. Uh, whereas my mother, she uh, was training to be an opera singer. So I was kind of force-fed classical music, to put it that way. Um, and you have, you know, an interesting sort of backstory when it comes to the family as well, because you have all of these... Um, all these generations, basically, with virtuoso musicians, like my grandmother's uh, brother, he played Zygenweisen on the violin. So you then have like oh. this track record of relatives going back, playing, being very good fiddle players. My grandfather, father, he was, you know, a multi-instrumentalist. He was known to be a very good guitar player and he played the accordion. So you have, you know, a bit of a family history there. Um, and then me being, you know, a very big fan, obviously, of music. Um, and at a certain point, I, I think I was like 10, the first time I heard a proper rock band uh, it was a rarity to uh, if you listen to like the the charts there would be this program on tv in norway where they would go through you know it was like a sort of like a if you look at the billboard and uh, you create a tv show where you go through all the different uh, you know the singles that are charting and you show off what their music videos so mm. i would watch that over in norway and i always loved this program and all of a sudden out of nowhere i hear offspring uh and that was you know shocking oh, for wow. me at the time because i had never heard anyone play you know distorted i had never seen a music video at that point with someone playing the drums and playing the guitar um you know of course you have old school rock bands and things like that but you know seeing someone on the charts at that point in time for me at least you know where I lived was like wow what's this so I became a massive fan and that was the point when all of a sudden I wanted to play the drums um and I would uh, listen to music with distorted guitars obviously and then this just kind of grew um at a certain point you know I picked up the guitar because I had a lot of ideas for songs essentially um, and saw it as a songwriter's tool. And once I started doing that, you know, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to teach myself how to play the guitar. Mm. Oh, I'm talking too fast. Anyway, I don't mean to talk no. too fast. I get excited when I try to slow down a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted to, I mean, the guitar was essentially just a songwriter's tool. Um, and I was both trying to figure out how to teach myself how to play. So I would sit with the Norwegian English dictionary and then try to figure out what the explanations in guitar magazines meant. Wait, so you're um, like sitting there with the magazine a... and the dictionary, you're trying yeah. like... <laughs> and the dictionary, great. trying, and it is hilarious because not only was I doing wow. that, I was also, I was also wearing like two pair of headphones where I would have one pair of headphones were connected to my CD Walkman and the other pair wow. of headphones was connected to my practice amp. And I was trying <laughs> to figure out my favorite sort of punk songs by ear. So you have me essentially trying mm. to be like, how can I teach myself how to play? I have no idea what I'm it was, doing. I hope it was so amazing when they came out. up with the practice amps that you could finally plug your CD player into. I was like, that's the best thing ever. It made me so happy anyway. <laughs> that's awesome and that's two, a genius uh, a genius product but i didn't right? i didn't have that though so i had i had well, very man. little i didn't have any proper gear or anything so my first um well actually we will come to that but uh, i was trying to figure out how to play the guitar but i was also trying to find influences because um i fell prey to the popular narrative which is a fake narrative that metal was killed by nirvana and that's not true right because what happened with metal is it went underground and during the 90s we have a lot of interesting uh, trends in heavy metal music and i didn't even know about this so i came across a metal magazine metal hammer specifically by chance and i was completely Good shocked magazine. and stunned yeah and i was completely shocked and stunned at finding out that wow you have all of these metal bands and all of these different types of metal i had honestly no clue so i went from being pretty ignorant in a way where I thought that oh you had this hairy metal and all these guitar solos and then all of a sudden you get Kurt Cobain and Nirvana and that's the end 
you know, no more, no more guitar solos, no more, um, no more such a such a thing. And then all of a sudden, I pick up this magazine, and I'm thinking, wow. And the crazy thing is, I didn't even find out about Norwegian black metal until I moved to Chicago, and I and I went to high school in Chicago, and there I went to Metal Haven. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but this used to be it was like a cult store where you would go and find all these different metal CDs oh. from Scandinavia and things. So I found out about Norwegian black metal. I had heard this is what's insane. I knew that we had Satanists in Norway uh, who were burning churches, but the way that the media frame this they would write that uh, here we have this full-time church burner and satanist and then there would be a tiny little box on the article saying ps they have a side project and the side project would be the bam so it's, it's kind of yeah wow. yeah literally so the no. side project is the, it's the not i'm being totally serious you know so you have this tiny little box at the bottom of the article like their side project is you know their music so i didn't know when that they're the not Satanists, burning churches they're not burning churches so <laughs> i had incredible. i had no clue yeah it's insane really if you think wow. about it so when i yeah when i found out that these church burning satanists were actually metal musicians and that very few of them were actually church burners i was like wow and then i felt sort of cheated so i didn't find out about the region black metal until i lived in the united states and i was reading revolver and then hanging out at metal haven and that's when i bought my first norwegian black metal cd <laughs> that's funny i find that it fascinating funny. that you had to move wow. out of the country to like get access to some of that culture it's interesting let's think it is really weird but it shows yeah. you i mean both that and also this whole belief that um shredding and heavy metal died with nirvana in many ways shows you the incomplete picture that is being sold to people uh, and that unless you kind of grow up with it you actually have to either like bump into it or you have to go out and investigate so i was very i felt very lucky when i then realized that oh there are more bands than just metallica because if you're going to read guitar magazines you will get the impression that there is like one metal band out there at least back then and that is you know it's metallica and then maybe there will be some tabs from dime mcdarrell or something but it's mainly just metallica right. when metal is being brought up so for me it was it felt like i'd come across a gold mine to all of a sudden find mm. out about all of these extreme metal bands i didn't even know existed yeah that cool. was an interesting time uh in the history of guitar when the grunge and the you know got really big so a lot of those guitar bands weren't like at the top of the charts anymore but they, it didn't mean that they just disappeared from the face of the earth yeah right <laughs> yeah and that is, of course, the popular narrative. If you read more, I would say, like pop music magazines, which I guess is what I was reading, like more mainstream music magazines, you just get kind of the popular narrative that these people weren't being pushed necessarily anymore and they weren't charting that much anymore. So then, you know, it doesn't exist, but that's not the truth. So I was very happy then when I all of a sudden, I remember finding Arch Enemy, for example. I mean, the guitar playing is insane. Um, and, uh, and I think melodically, I was more a fan of Norwegian black metal because there's so much melody there. So it was an exciting period in many ways, trying to figure out how to play the guitar, but also having this musical journey where I'm trying to, I'm, it's, I was essentially looking for things and then all of a sudden I discovered this world that was, you know, I didn't even know that world was there. It sounds like that started when you first heard the distorted car, uh, guitar with the offspring. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. What, um, what about that drew you in? Because it sounds like it started you on a pretty long journey that continues to this day like what about that kind of music drew you in do you think 
Well, I mean, the Offsprings, in my opinion, are really good songwriters. So you then have yeah. to bear in mind that actually for the majority of my life, I've then listened to pop music, right? So I was a very big fan of Phil Collins, a very big fan of Elton John. And this type of music is very catchy. It's and all the good. Funny thing about Those, punk, they're like, great. Even if you... Yeah, they're great. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. It's, it's really, really great. It's catchy, super catchy music, though. So, but same thing with uh, Euro. Euro dance was really huge, obviously, when I grew up. And that stuff is like hook after hook. I mean, it's just hooks. It's oh. nothing else but hooks. Um, and if you then listen to, even if you listen to The Misfits or listen to Ramones, Ramones, they have so many or had so many catchy songs. Um, yeah, and the cool thing about yeah. this type of music is that you can, you can actually listen to it and pick it up by ear. You need to know how to play a power chord and then you can learn this music, which is great. Yeah, true. That's so true, though. I mean, it's what I love about Blink-182. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Offspring was a big influence on me as well. Like uh, Americana was was just like... It was pretty mind blowing. Yeah, that was a one hell of an album. One hell of an album. Yeah. Welcome to Americana. It says yeah. when you when you started. I listened to that album start to finish the first time I heard it, and it blew my freaking little teenage yeah. mind. Yeah, it's great. It was great. You know, I would I would sit with my Walkman on, and I would be like rocking back and forth to the rhythm yeah. of the drums. I was like so into this stuff. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was so cool. <laughs> I've never experienced anything with that kind of beat. You know the, oh. the punk beat and the it, it really very yeah positive, it it's a positive vibe too. Side note, they're fantastic live. They blew me away how great they were. Oh, live. you've seen them live, huh? Dang it, man! Wow, you're but, lucky. Uh, I have never seen them live, but I did see neither. Misfits live. I don't think they had all the members, <gasps> really? but I was yeah. Oh, that uh, to me was a religious was experience. <laughs> I was amazing. I was in LA because I was working on artist development. So this is after the whole commander in chief thing has started. But right. I felt like the luckiest person alive because, oh my gosh, I spent so much time listening to their music. It's just so great songwriting, in my opinion. So when I then got to see them live, I think one of the like the big, huge guy who, um, oh gosh, I don't I don't know his uh, his name or his stage Danzig. name, but yeah, probably you know like the uh, the the one who is kind of like the the face in a way of the band, the guy with the makeup. Yeah. Uh, he's he's together Blend with Danzig. the. Uh, uh, the one who is together with the uh, girl from Arch Enemy, their oh, new wait. singer. Yeah, no, it's not Glenn Dancing, it's the it's other not. guy. Oh, then I don't know. Oh, I know, yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Like, ignorant yeah. I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, I love but, music, so, I know all the people. All right, yeah. <laughs> but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't in the band, but the other people were there, and oh my gosh, it was so cool. It was amazing. It was a perfect show. So I felt just lucky to, to be there and to experience it. It was surreal after having listened to their music so much to actually get to see them live. Mm. That's <laughs> yeah. cool. I definitely felt that way, uh, different, completely different genre, but Madish Yahoo was a show I got to see uh, right after he did the big album. Uh, it was like, it was like right out of high school for me. And that was, he was real big, uh, just in, I would say early 2000s, if I remember the right year, whatever, 2002, whatever. So seeing him live kind of, I mean, the opportunity to see uh, someone that's influenced you and yeah. perform, it's like a special event for a musician. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, Absolutely. you've seen all the kinds of great acts too, man. So I, I know you uh so many that I haven't seen, but it's it's fun to when you get a chance, you know. I, I, don't you think? I mean, I don't know. It's it gets me thinking about COVID. It gets me thinking about like all the the shows that didn't happen, say in the last year, and like what's happening. I mean, some places are opening up. Like here where we live in Arizona, there's a lot more going on. Uh places are opening up, venues are opening up, people are starting to be able to play again. 
but uh, you know, it's not that way necessarily everywhere. And I'm kind of curious, like, how's that? I mean, I am curious about the impact it's had on you. Like, uh, are you someone who hasn't been able to play a show in a while? Kind of curious, like, how have you adapted and what you're doing to sort of survive as a musician in the, you know, in the digital age? Uh, well, I was in many ways a digital, like an online musician already in a way, because everything that we've done, we've done because of social media. Mm. So we started out, I, I say we, because the commander-in-chief thing has always been almost like a duo with me as the artist, and then you have Elizabeth as the manager. Um, so we started out in 2008, um, and so much of what we have done have been on the internet and online anyway. Uh, and my situation in 2020 was very different from from other people because I got the I caught the parasite in late 2016 um, and then I got a shoulder injury in February and my health uh, overall health just declined because of oh. post-infectious syndrome that's what they call um, so when 2020 hit you know I was coming out of a sort of personal uh, of uh, years of uh, you know trying to essentially get back to health I spent like 18 months wow. being bedridden if you see my point um, so Whoa. 2020 yeah so 20 2020 was the year where I finally got back to a proper work day. It was the year when I finally got back to practicing. You know, I did a uh, several launches and things. So for me, 2020 was very different. To me, 2020 was a personal triumph because, you know, I got back to things. Um, so it's a very different story, I think, than other people who then were operational, were touring, were busy, and then 2020 come like a lightning bolt out of the clear blue skies, you know. But we need that, though. Like, we, we got to have optimistic stories too like I, I love hearing that it was the, your best year like that's amazing that's cool yeah yeah but it, it's it's different so for me you know it was um it was difficult uh getting sick you know I don't think I, I think I was mentally a bit detached from it because so I caught this parasite in November 2016 in January 2017 you know I was going to my rehearsal space and I was just you know trying to get on with things and I was like breathing like a walrus so I was walking oh. over there like <gasps> you know uh, but I kept on going uh, until I basically physically just you know I, I ended up being bedridden as I said so um, it was interesting, you know, going through such a prolonged period uh, of difficulty, but I then forced myself back to work in 2018 and then created a couple of acoustic albums in my recovery phase, basically. Uh, and then we launched Tukat and Fug and the Classical in late 2020. So, uh, so it's a different story. But uh, so, uh, so yeah, COVID, uh, of course, it has affected everyone. You know, I think that um, you can kind of see it in my case, you can see it with how people sort of purchase where you know I have um, people who have signed up to my subscription service I have people who buy all my products and things like that and when I do a launch what I will normally do uh, is that I, I kind of follow the old pledge model I don't know if you remember pledge people used that uh, back in the day to raise uh, money and to do launches so what I will do when I do a pre-order such crowdfunding campaign is that you know I have different packages where people can get merch packages they can get you know all kinds of stuff that are uh, available to people for a period in time and obviously I could then see that people's purchasing habits were different and people would go for the cd rather than more expensive packages and things like that so everyone got affected by covid 19 because you know all of a sudden people don't have work you know right. everyone are negatively affected all of a sudden there are right. people who canceled their membership on my subscription service you know so that is just part and parcel of this global pandemic it is what it is yeah i mean the economy has ups and downs no matter what we do yeah and exactly. we have to adapt uh yeah as musicians, we, we do have to sort of ride that wave 
uh, in a different way. And, and, and I definitely, I'm definitely inspired by the fact that you were so already, you were already sort of in the digital space Yeah. when, so you were like, you were positioned well to adapt. Um, yeah, both, both yes and no. I mean, we have, I would say done the uh, sort of sort of what online people do where you use social media mm -hmm. um, rather than doing what online business owners do because what these type of characters do and have done for years is that they centered everything around their website or the click funnels and things like that mm -hmm. whereas we have been more centered on social media which is what musicians do however this is vulnerable because all you need is like one algorithm change and then everything changes you yeah. know what i mean uh, or a social media platform yeah it's actually to quite ban terrifying you or, yeah it's, oh, yeah that's could happen as well so there are yeah. many many vulnerabilities so i think in 2019 was an important year for me in a way because i i'm kind of sitting there and i'm thinking i have all of these people who have subscribed to my youtube channel i have all these people on facebook and if i had this email list my life would be so much better but i don't have access to this information you know mm. it's a bit like you're charting and that's great and i've charted i've charted in 26 different countries with my music on three different platforms that's amazing that is wow. so cool. That is really, and I had the number one album as well, which is so surreal as an independent artist. Wow. However, the catch, the catch is though that when people are then purchasing via these platforms, you don't get their data, right? Yeah. So, so that in 2019, I then went through something that was very drawn out and that was transitioning us to email marketing and becoming a more website based business um and that of course was you know that is something that can really drag out because you're trying to then go through whatever data you have to then become more organized and i, and I ran my first sort of um i would say email marketing campaign in december 2019 and that made okay. me happy because then you have more control of your business so that is a very important transition to make simply because you don't control facebook you don't control instagram you don't control any of these platforms That's so true. um yeah and i think most musicians they do i mean this is what you do right you go to these platforms you try to build a following mm -hmm. um and you engage with people and you do crowdfunding campaigns via these platforms and then all is good until all of a sudden something happens and that can be like my space disappeared all yeah. of a sudden it was just gone and that was like horrible for us back then yeah you know what true. i mean and i remember my my manager who has then spent so much time on myspace she was like sitting in front of her computer and going all of that work and now it was just a waste she kind of felt right because you're building a fan base and you're engaging with people and now everything is gone so i think transitioning and moving away from the social media platforms that has been more my focus the the last few years and that's uh, and i started doing that before 2020 um, and I would recommend that other musicians do the same because you have no control, right? So it's like you you, you are doing well and things are looking good. And then you're in a situation where you would like to get access to uh, all the people who have interest in your music, but you can't access them directly because mm. Facebook, Facebook, they own that stuff. And, uh, and if you pay for ads, then all of a sudden your bus goes up and people start seeing your posts and you don't pay for ads, then everything dies down. It's cynical. It's so cynical and it's not good, right? If you have an independent business. Yeah, and to be it able, it, it puts really like does. another, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that it makes sense to have something that you know you're going to be able to call your own oh, yeah. Yeah. and grow yeah. it, and yeah. you are in completely completely in control of it, and, yeah. and to have that, there's some security, the security to that, I understand where, you, where you're coming from with that. I'm really yeah, glad you, oh. No, no, just keep on going. I no, I'm so sorry. Say uh, <laughs> I, my timing terrible um no but i'm really glad you're bringing it up because yeah, no it's the when I mean, this is a very real thing that you know even we have to um 
we need a website. Huh. We're getting it. I'm working on it. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, but like, uh, the, the, you know, you know, the reason why I think it's important too is just connection with your audience. Like, because if you have that direct connection, you have your own email list and you can yeah. reach out. I can't tell you as the consumer on my, on the, on the other end of it, like the artists yeah. that I follow, mm-hmm. I really enjoy being on the email list for a couple of different artists because then it's like, if I need to take a break from Twitter, because Twitter's being a little negative or Facebook or um or whatever platform you know then I can still get like new music info or touring or whatever merch or whatever through the email like that's one of the reasons I like to sign up for those email lists so on the on the consumer end I think well it it makes it easy for me to stay connected um and yet uh, as the as the artist myself right as the musician you know, I'm like, oh, I'll get to the website when I get to it. And you know, <laughs> yeah. you flip it around. It's like, well, you know, it's yeah. actually really important for me as a consumer. Well, why don't I do it myself? It's a brilliant uh, topic to discuss because it's, yeah. that one of the things we want to do with this show is we do want to encourage aspiring musicians. I yeah. mean, it's just part of our mission all around the world. Like yeah. we want people to be inspired by what musicians are doing around the world and and learn and understand the digital landscape and how can you yeah. promote your stuff and so this is all super valuable to us and our listeners i really appreciate you sharing that stuff yeah i think it's important to share it because i mean as i already said we started out on myspace in 2008 um hmm. and um, elizabeth she was working her ass off literally <laughs> uh, you know reaching out to independent bloggers and uh, essentially building a brand um i created an animated music video for my very first single and hmm. we literally we sat and we shared this on the internet like you know what you would think that a bot would do but we did proper grunt work on social media we put so much effort into it yeah proper grunt work on social media like a proper grassroots campaign um and we got everything like everything that we've gotten is because we uh put in this work you know what i mean um but there is a vulnerability to it and the vulnerability is that like in my case you know it's amazing that i managed to chart so many places Mm -hmm. but then i'm sitting there and i'm thinking that wow if i had access to the customer data from itunes and amazon uh and deezer i would be so much more empowered and i don't have that data so you know you get like a paycheck from cd baby and then you kind of sit there um and how can you actually get access to customers who are not buying physical directly from you but all the digital stuff because that is obviously like the majority of sales because that's the that's the easiest thing and that's what people are used to you see my point yeah, so it's a very yeah. yeah that makes complete sense i'm glad we're talking about it it's something <laughs> it's something that musicians need to understand and need to be aware of and yeah. approach with with the right mindset because like you said the data is everything yeah it really really is so um yeah. so yeah so that is that, that that's kind of where i've been mentally and the funny thing is you know I was when I wasn't well I spent too much time on Instagram scrolling <laughs> I was laying in bed and I was scrolling around but the good news about that is that the Instagram algorithm started recommending all sorts of uh, tutorials and courses and content from online business owners and I then clicked and I favorited this type of post and then I got more and more and more of it so the only reason that I then uh, kind of saw this side I guess of having a social media presence is because of the algorithm that that's mm. also you know a funny phenomenon of the time that we live in that you know mm-hmm. in a way kind of get helped by artificial intelligence or by you know the, the machine essentially giving you advice on things don't you find that it's I just it's fascinating to me that you literally will get what you put into it like you if you put it if you put out in that algorithm good stuff or stuff that's uplifting or stuff that's gonna uh, try to improve if you try to improve your life by typing in questions into google google's yeah. gonna try to help you back and i 
it's like I understand the the creep factor of the algorithms. And <laughs> yeah. You know how a lot of people think about with privacy and things, but at the same time, it's like if you use it for for art and you use it for for productive things, you can get so much out of it. You know. Yeah, that is actually true. I mean, of course, there is a creepiness factor to it, but uh, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have transitioned to to email marketing if I didn't even know about these people. You see, yeah. so that is that is uh, kudos to the uh, to the to the bot to the robot. So I love that you ago. make that point though, because I feel the same way about the, our show. We have bumped into some of the most amazing musicians like yourself from, quite frankly, around the world. And yeah. it's the algorithms that connect us all. I mean, amazing to me that there's this invisible web of amazing human beings who are musicians like across the world. And like, yeah, we yeah. all have some kind of weird common thread. We come yeah. from way different backgrounds. Yeah. I just, it blows me away that, that there's just so much like the access that we have as human beings in 2021 to meet other like-minded individuals. It, it, it's completely changed my life, like in, in a very short window of time. It's incredible. Yeah, I actually totally agree. I'm thinking about communication as well. Uh, you know, with the, with the lockdown, all of a sudden yeah. it hasn't been possible to go and visit people, but you can still uh, Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. So so that is quite nice, really, that you can still see people. Well, you can't you can't see me today because I thought this was a I thought this was a uh, like a phone interview sort of a thing. But uh, it's okay. the, um, it's it's very nice, you know, to have this type of communication. I would say. Definitely. Well, it happened in a time when it's readily available, so that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, imagine if uh, if you didn't have uh, these type of tools, then you would only have the phone. Or imagine if you didn't have the phone and you would have to send letters or I don't know, you go further back and it gets darker and yeah, darker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of crazy. Message by pigeon. Message by pigeon. Yeah, message by pigeon. That's a good one. You know, taking a, a couple steps back, um, When you were talking about, uh, you know, picking up guitar magazines and yep. uh, trying to, you know, having the dictionary out at the same time while you're teaching yourself. Um, Which is a wonderful image, by the way. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Definitely shows the level of determination that you had to learn the guitar. Uh, how was that process for you? Just your guitar journey from when you first started picking up those guitar magazines until now. Yeah, that is quite a journey, <laughs> obviously. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. You know, I didn't know and I didn't think that I could become good at playing an instrument because I tried to take piano lessons when I was younger and it didn't work out particularly well. Um, I think everyone, I have a similar yeah. story. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, right. So it's like you have your parents want you to play the piano or you or whatever, you know, and, and then you're gonna I think for me the problem was that I wanted to write my own music when I was very little. Uh, oh. but I mean obviously if you're little and you're gonna sit by the piano and you're gonna probably create something atonal that sounds horrendous and uh, and then trying to kind of explain. I mean, people think that there's this process that you had to learn how to play an instrument properly first. And I think a lot of it has mm. to do with having good teachers as well. If you have a teacher who who hates teaching, for example, or you have a teacher who is, you know, not tuned into what you are like, then I think you can very easily lose your motivation. So I lost my motivation and I thought that I had no talent when it came to that. Uh, but then this whole thing with playing an instrument came back to me when I was like, what, I think 11 or 12 years old, because uh, I figured I was going to start a pop group with my best friend. 
and I was going to be the songwriter, you see, without knowing how to play an instrument. Right. <laughs> so ah. I then uh, set, I love it. Yeah. So I then <laughs> sat down by the by the piano and I actually came up with a lot of music, but I didn't know how to write sheet music. I didn't have a way to record the music. So I actually forgot a lot of it. And, you know, this whole pop duo thing didn't really amount to anything. <laughs> so uh, where I was at when I then was, let's see, 2004, 2005, I'm thinking, you know what? I have all these ideas for songs. My problem is I don't know how to play an instrument and I don't know sort of the technical aspect of music. It is now or never. So because I started so late, because I did actually start pretty late, um, back in 2005, I think that's the year I turned 16. Um, and at least over here in Europe, then people hear people start playing when they're like five or something, you know, and you have all these school orchestras yeah. and things like that. So um, at a certain point, I then was back in Norway and I would then go and I would look at people my own age already playing in bands, already playing live, already making demos. So I really felt like I started very late and I'm thinking, okay, if I'm gonna do this, then I'm gonna go all in. So, and um, I kind of wanted to play the drums, but I felt that I had to pick one instrument and that I had to pick a songwriter's instrument and also something that um, a piano is not a very easy thing. Like if you have a keyboard to bring that with you when you're traveling. And Trust things, me, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Oh my God. Yeah, so. So, so yeah. I wanted something that was rock and roll. Uh, I wanted something that was rock and roll that wasn't too heavy, something that could be used as a soloist, songwriter's tool. And that's how I ended up with the guitar. But yes, I was very determined from the get-go because I felt that, you know, I started late and I didn't want to do something where I would sort of waste my time. So I'm thinking, do I actually want to be a musician? I'm thinking, yes, I want to be a musician. Uh, yes, now I'm going to give this a go and I'm going to try this. So now I have to be serious. So there was a very serious element from uh, the very moment where I actually sat down to then try to figure out how to play this thing, right? So that's the decision making and that's me, you know, going for it. Um, and at first, of course, I had tremendous pain in my left hand because your hand isn't used to being oh. held in that kind of a position. Um, so, too. yeah, the fingertips as well. So my, I then decided to have a rule that I would play until I couldn't play anymore. And a lot of times my hand would be in so much pain that I had to essentially sleep with my hand in the position that I would have when I'm playing the guitar. Oh my goodness. So then lay down in my bed and sleep and then have my hand in that type of position because I couldn't really turn it around because it was so wow. sore. <laughs> so I really like actually you... went all in. It seems like once you set your mind <laughs> you to something, all in, though, there's like, yes. yeah, you're all in. Like there's just no stopping you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so yes, I was very serious about this. But of course, being very serious, especially when you are that young, can also be kind of comical. Um, so I didn't have a lot of money for gear. And now we're leaving Norway and we're going to Chicago that I mentioned earlier. I'm in Chicago living with my mother. Um, and now I'm going to start my own band. And I had this whole vision. You know, I had been um, looking at guitar magazines for about a year. And now I'm thinking that now I'm going to go out and I'm going to start my band. Um, and I was a bit lost because I thought all these great rock bands, metal bands and stuff come from America. So I thought all I had to do was just show up at an American high school and then I would just find the best rock band ever. <laughs> like that would just like happen. <laughs> you know, it's like Tenacious D it's like Tenacious D where Jack Black comes to LA and he just oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You and just, he, you'd all find each other. And yeah, it's like you know, Jack Black. He, yeah, fly. Jack Black. He comes off the bus, and the first person he sees in LA is the person he starts a band with. You know Kyle. what I mean? Good old Kyle. I love Kyle so <laughs> yeah, much. Good old Kyle. He's a, he's a brilliant musician. So, that man is actually really brilliant. Yeah. 
he's hilarious. Yeah, he is actually. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, no, I was pretty lost. I thought that, you know, all I have to do, I have to be in America and then I have to go to high school and there, you know, like the first people I will bump into, I'll have the most amazing <laughs> band in history. <laughs> and that's what I really thought. You know, I didn't necessarily think that America is a big country with loads of people and loads right. of high schools. So the likelihood of finding, <laughs> you know, talent is pretty big. <laughs> but but uh, no, so I then find myself in the most extraordinary situation, right? I'm going to create the most extraordinary metal band. And I realized that nobody really plays the drums. Everybody plays the guitar. Um, it is not necessarily that easy. Try to find a good bass uh, but, player. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I started a uh, sort of a band. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, it's a recurring 15-year thing with me and Ryan. Okay, all right. Uh, can I just say real quick, I just, yeah. when you say, do you understand what you did to me when you said Tenacious D? Because in my mind, what I hear is, we walked with Jesus and his cross. He did not die in vain. Like immediately, that's what <laughs> yeah. I heard in my head when you thank you. So I want to thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. They're hilarious. They're so funny. Jack Black's classic. All right. Sorry. Please go back. Um, yeah, but that, uh, but that <laughs> movie is so, the Tenacious D movie is just so funny. I think what I love the most is that he comes off the bus. And then the first thing he does, he starts to battle with the first street musician he bumps into. You know, it's so funny. It's so great. <laughs> and that's what I thought. Yeah. And that's what I thought would happen then. That, you know, it's like you just, your plane lands in America and you walk <laughs> off the plane and there is your band, yeah. you know. It that's is. it. Yeah. Ready to conquer the world. That's the dream. That's what we're <laughs> so, all expecting. That's, I love that. That's, the, yeah, exactly. I love that that was sort of like somewhere you in your mind. just set foot here. Yeah. <laughs> you set foot here, hold your electric guitar in the air and the band will just show up. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I feel like um, there are some so, musicians uh, that would, if you see a musician holding a guitar, you'd probably be like, what's going on over there? Like, I kinda, when I see someone holding an instrument, I kind of want to know what's happening. Like, I kind of want to be. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. Isn't that weird. That's true. It's like you're curious. Who's I can't this avoid it. Yeah, like I'm immediately am interested. Like, if you're holding an instrument, it's like immediately I want to walk up and see. I don't care where you come from, what you look like. If you're holding an instrument, it's like, what's going on? Yeah. How's it going? We're friends. Like, yeah, that's actually very <laughs> true. Yeah, that's you know? very true. No, I really, I talked, like I bumped into a, a dude that was homeless and he had a guitar with him. We were just, we, we just hit it off. He played a Grateful Dead song for me. And I was like, wow, that's a really good song. I've never heard that song. I will admit to not knowing the Grateful Dead that well. And it was, it was an yeah. incredible conversation. And, and he was just, you know, a random guy. But that's the thing about musicians is I feel like you can just, I don't know what it is about instruments, but the guitar, Ryan is very right about this guitar thing with the. the I will say this too, <laughs> that musicians have great stories and could you continue your story? Thank you. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, of course. The, yeah. the tenacious thing derailed okay. me. I'm so sorry. Please go back. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's funny. Um, so, uh, so yeah, anyway, so this is why I'm saying it's a bit comical if you're like super serious. It's like you're in high school, but you're like the most serious musician in history, right? Because you want a band and you're going to go out and do your thing. Oh so gosh. what's funny about this? Yeah, what's funny about this is that, okay, I didn't have any proper gear. This is when this gets funny. So I had, I invested in a Tascam slowdowner and I was so happy when this product came out because you could put the CD in, you could plug your guitar in and then you could slow down the CD. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was mm. just an incredible tool. Yeah, it, I had like the red one and I just loved it. But I didn't have an amplifier. So what I did, like this is how I made my first sort of so-called proper recordings. This is ridiculous. Like I took my Tascam slowdowner, I plugged it into an old cassette recorder and I recorded yes. my very first demos on cassettes because I had no recording <laughs> equipment and nothing it. like that. 
And then what I do is that I'm going to have this amazing band. So, you know, I, I, now I've made some friends at my high school. I say, okay, I play the guitar, you know, let's meet at my place. Let's have a jam session. And then my rig was my guitar plugged into the Tascam Slowdowner. Yes. That was then plugged into the cassette player. And the cassette player was then my amp. And then I had a Squire Strat, like a Squire <laughs> Strat brown guitar. <laughs> that wasn't yes. even a metal guitar. It wasn't even that good. And there I am with like the most serious facial expression ever. Like, don't laugh at my rig. <laughs> let's jam my rig. and let's have a band. <laughs> you know, it's really right. funny. I, so this I was literally my rig. It. I just you loved it. it there was no stopping you. <laughs> you did what you had to do to make yeah. it happen. <laughs> yeah, it's like hilarious though, because I mean, it's... Uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's like you're the serious metal person and you're going to go all out and follow your dream. And then, you know, you have the most extraordinary rig ever. And uh, this was not a particularly good band. You know, our friend was going to play the drums. He couldn't really play the drums. Um, and it was just like one of those things, right? Where I think I realized at a certain point that I would end up being a solo artist for the mm. simple reason that as a guitar player, you actually have to think about your package and your brand because everybody plays the guitar. Um, and I was so serious with this whole music thing that I just kind of ended up doing everything. You know, we rehearsed at my place um, and I made it my mission to try to find a drummer. So at a certain point, at a certain point, you became a solo artist because I we had a fight yeah but i was already functioning like one in a way so that's my manager coming in telling me that she was the one who insisted i had to be a solo artist which is the truth which is the truth but what i didn't realize at the time was that mentally i was already operating like one so that's like my mm. mother and manager then knowing me better than myself and me thinking that i want to be in a band but essentially actually already operating like a solo artist so i was uh, so yes i was kind of doing everything and then i ended up sort of writing everything and there was like more and more things that i was doing and then the whole band thing started to look a bit weird to be honest and a bit silly um and so so yes i mean uh, so that's me trying yeah, to Ryan. get the band and <laughs> I'm and sorry. me focusing sorry. on sorry sorry no that was me I'm and so me sorry. focusing on yeah and me focusing on my writing and at a certain point um elizabeth uh, my manager and mother then comes in and i had created this extraordinary demo okay so now i've upgraded now you know first i was recording on cassettes all of a sudden i finally managed to get a proper sort of recording setup so i got my first recording um interface and my first recording software and finally i got my own computer uh, and this was back in 2007 so now you know i really now i up my game <laughs> Uh, I have no idea how to record my stuff. I have like no idea what the hell I'm doing. So I take this interface with me to friends and people I know around Chicago. I put the interface in my backpack and I went to people's basements and people's home studios, you know, trying to put together some sort mm. of a demo. Uh, and this demo absolutely sucked. It was absolutely horrible, but I didn't see it at the time. So I'm telling my uh, mother that, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Still totally serious, you know, like most serious musician ever. Telling her I'm going to put this on MySpace, put this out on the internet because I'm going to find a band. You know, this is what I'm going to do. Take that. Uh, and my mom is like looking at me in horror, wondering what the heck, you know, I'm doing because it was the worst demo ever. So she kind of goes, you know what? What about going to a proper studio and actually talking to proper people? And this is when all of a sudden we end up becoming an artist manager duo. Um, and I then all of a sudden find myself in a proper studio for the first time working with um, a guy called, oh my Paul goodness, Richmond. Paul Richmond, Grammy who was Grammy. my mom's uh, contact because she was at that point 
active in the jazz scene. She was managing oh, cool. people in the jazz scene in Chicago. She was studying management at uh, what is it, Columbia University. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of that was her thing. My my world was heavy metal, and I was completely doing my own thing. And then she all of a sudden hears this extraordinary demo of mine, and she's like, "Ah, maybe you should try to record this professionally." <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then all of a sudden you have this whole manager artist thing developing. Uh, and that is his own thing entirely. Like my idea was to create a demo, put it on the internet and find a male singer because I was writing music for a male voice. I wasn't interested in singing my own music. Um, and then, you know, Paul Richmond. Yeah. So Paul Richmond and my uh, mother then kind of goes, hey, can you do mock vocals? You know, you do the mock vocals and then we'll send that off to someone. <laughs> it's just mock vocals. It's not the real thing. And of course, it was the real thing. Um, and, when I, and when I realized that my mock vocals were supposed to be the real thing, I kind of freaked out a bit. I'm thinking, Jesus, I don't want to sing my own music. This is horrible. You know, I want to just be the, the writer. Um, but uh, they were they were right. You know, they were right. And, uh, and me singing my own music absolutely became a, I would say, very important aspect of having a sound that actually stands out and that people then remember. Right. But that wasn't my initial plan, you know. So, uh, but the guitar playing, yeah, I mean, it evolved. Um, this was my first sort of session where someone put a metronome in front of me. Um, I realized that my Squire Strat was a shitty guitar. I wasn't allowed to record with it. Um, <laughs> and I realized that I had to spend more time with a metronome because, you know, my hands, they got, I got so much pain from doing this recording session. It was like all in one take, you know, go for it. Uh, no, no punching in or anything like that. I was just expected to just go for it and have good timing and everything. I'm thinking, wow, you know? Yeah. So that was quite yeah. a rough wake up call. And ever since then, you know, I was practicing with a metronome religiously um, and very sort of conscious, I would say. So it was an eye-opener, you know, there was no auto-tune or anything like that. He is like a Motown guy, Paul Richmond, he's an older uh, guy, uh, you know, who who has done, you know, jazz and R&B and that type of stuff. So, you know, he was like, okay, he went into his recording studio, but it was a very sort of naked experience because clearly, you know, he was, you know, there, there was no tricks or anything like that. So it was an educational experience where, you know, I then went back and practiced more and became more focused on, you know, playing with the metronome basically and becoming very precise so that I wouldn't get pain in my hands, you know, from doing a recording session. So hmm. that's one that's one part of the journey. And then of course it keeps on evolving, you know, a lot of practicing obviously, and uh, my style becoming more and more technical and trying to have this fusion between writing classic, not, no, not classical, um, writing catchy hooks and being, you know, catchy in my songwriting, but then having the metal technique and trying to make it interesting technically with the instrumentation and things like that. Right. So it's the, it's a journey with uh, uh, with a lot of uh, a lot of repetition, guitar wise. Um, I tried to find guitar teachers. I had this vision in my head that in order to become a lead guitarist and stuff, I had to have a teacher. Um, It didn't quite work out because people didn't necessarily understand where I came from. It took many years before I actually found a guitar mentor. That was when, now we're back to LA again, (laughs) doing artist development. And um, I then was introduced to Ramon Ortiz. He uh, is, was, I'm not sure what the status is, but he he was the... um, founder and guitar player in Ankla and uh, Puya and I actually saw him live at Osves when I lived in Chicago actually oh, cool. so to to then all of a sudden get introduced to a uh to to then know to get to know a producer who then knew him I was a bit like wow how cool and he became a guitar mentor and yeah. how we got to know that producer and how we ended up in LA was that okay so we started out in MySpace in 2008 um then we I made my first Oh, I don't mean to speak fast. Do I speak too fast for you guys? Not for me. Okay. 2008. Yeah. Yeah. 
so um, I make my first proper metal recording with a proper metal producer in late 2008. We then, uh, this is the first physical release that we then do in February 2009. And this recording, uh, we put all this stuff out of MySpace and this then catches the attention of producers in LA who are then trying to get me over there to work on artist development and things like that. Um, so that's how we all of a sudden find ourselves uh, in, in that sort of area. And, um, and this producer who then introduced me to Ramon, he had then heard my music on MySpace and, and things like that. So that was uh, that then all of a sudden I was introduced to someone who became a proper guitar mentor where you can actually hear an influence. Uh, he gave me all of these exercises and licks and things that he was using in his playing. He didn't hold anything back. So he was a really great mentor. Um, he is a songwriter. He was signed to Universal. So he had this extraordinary CV, loads of real life experience and real life knowledge of the industry and he gave all of that knowledge to me which is amazing um a lot of guitar players they will just you know hide their knowledge so they will give you a scale they will not show you the lick um but uh, but he showed me you know whatever i wanted to to know and you can actually hear on my evolution ep on my guitar solo for my song thou uh, you can actually hear uh, his influence very clearly and things so he is the one who has actually then inspired me the most and he was a proper guitar mentor for me until I then went on and did other things and stopped having lessons with him. Um, so, so that was quite cool. You know, he, he's a great guitar teacher. Um, these days he lives in Puerto Rico, if I'm right. And I think that he is giving lessons and stuff over there, uh, but he is really, really good. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long journey though. I've been doing this for many years now. Um, and obviously guitar wise, it's a lot of practicing. My way of evolving mainly has been writing things and coming up with ideas that were too technically advanced for me to play at the moment so i would then sit and practice my own riffs and my own songs for hours and weeks and months you know trying to then be technically there so i could literally bring to life what i imagined so that is how i evolved as a guitar player mainly um and uh, at a certain point i think around 2013 i then had a great and obviously at 2013, a lot of things have happened. You know, I, I released a single, a rework of Paranoid in 2011. That one caught fire because it was shared by Blabbermouth, by Revolver, all of these metal publications. Oh, cool. So now you see a very, now all of a sudden things start to sort of take off a bit and cool things start happening. Did that feel but surreal the guitar, for you? Like when that happened? Like was, what did that feel like? That was insane. I mean, at that point we had been around for three years um, uh -huh. and we had had a lot of bus in the underground, as I already said, doing things like grunt work on MySpace. Uh, but all of a sudden they picked up on it and it was insane because mm. if you have something that people will click on and something that will spread, then all you need is that one major site shares your video and then you have that then the fire will start basically um, with getting views and you know people talking about you and things uh so yeah i nearly fell i i kind of fell out of my bed and then i nearly fell down the staircase i could probably <laughs> kill myself because i <laughs> i couldn't believe it was true you know oh, i don't know if you've seen I think there's a movie, there's a movie with Tom Hanks where he plays a manager. I don't really know what the name of the movie is. If it's that The Wonders or what it is. Um, oh, the, the, girl, uh, the That Thing You Do. That Thing You Do, yeah. Mm -hmm. That Thing oh, You yeah, Do. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah, yeah exactly. Good movie. And, and they hear, yeah, they Quite hear right. their song on the radio. Yeah, they, they they hear their song on the radio for the first time and they start jumping and screaming and they yeah. start acting all crazy. 
I think that that's the reaction people have in the social media age if like a big site shares your video from YouTube or something because that means that your YouTube video is going to get a lot of views and that things yeah. are going to start happening. You know, it's the same effect, I think. Definitely. It was, it was yeah. the same reaction I had when I got a song played on XM Radio. I knew a, a big DJ and she played my song and it was the cool, like I yeah. just, free, I was a teenager. So it, like it made the whole, it made my whole universe. It was amazing. Yeah, it's just awesome. So, so now that was a really surreal moment uh, that, you know, no one can take that from you when you experience Heck something yeah. like that. It's like, wow. Uh, but then, of course, comes the, I would say, uh, the seriousness of the, the business and the seriousness of being an artist where, okay, now you get a bit of bus and now you have to use this bus to get more bus. You know, it's like now you have to keep the snowball rolling. Mm. So there's a certain nervousness with that where you're trying to take that to get more interviews. I did my first photo shoot for a proper uh, music magazine in late 2011. So then I went to Metal Hammer, a magazine I had been reading when I was a teenager. And all of a sudden I got the feature, full page feature, which was Whoa. amazing. That's cool. Yeah. But then that, you get, that, that is that cool. That is really cool. But, you know, being that some, the magazine, the first magazine that you picked up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that that yeah. must have been. Talk like about making dream your dreams true. a reality. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Ryan, I'm sorry. Step yeah, on. it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah that was so crazy but you know what's even crazier in a way is kind of seeing the music business from the inside because when you get access to these magazines you realize that they're located in big corporate buildings and that you have all these office spaces like cubicles essentially that people that and then you have a sign hanging over these cubicles saying which magazine is which when it comes to these cubicles so it is like an office space wow. yeah exactly so you kind of walk through this uh, well all these office cubicles and you see all of these different magazines and they're all underneath the same roof because they're all owned by the same publishing houses right. so it's uh, it's interesting and you know all of a sudden it's like you kind of see the the wizard of austin away you know you kind of see uh, right. the uh, the man behind the, the curtain gets pulled yeah they curtain. Yeah, yeah they see the man behind the curtain so it was surreal to see myself in the magazine i think it was a very kind of realistic thing to kind of go and see the office spaces and to and to kind of see oh this is how it looks like like this is behind the scenes this is this is where it happens you know um so Definitely. yeah so we got that bus we got loads of bus elizabeth was working around the clock i got my first festival appearances that was really that was like wow you know so we were working around the clock to then obviously keep the bus and build the bus uh, so so that is a kind of nerve-wracking thing you know you don't want the bus to die down you want to keep the momentum going and you want to build it um, and I would say around then 2013 then becomes a very interesting year because that's when all of a sudden I have my first magazine cover um, and all of a sudden uh, I kind of cross over I got a very cool um, I was asked I was, I was approached by a jazz guitar player from Iceland was going to play the Bergen International Festival. And I was born in Bergen in Norway and they host, the Bergen International Festival is the biggest cultural festival in Scandinavia. So this has nothing to do with metal, nothing to do with rock and roll. Um, what this guy from Iceland does is that he, he likes to do like multi-genre gigs where he have different guitar players from different genres and then people mm -hmm. come and they play their music that's and then cool. there's a jam session at the end for all this. Yeah, it's that's very a, cool. That's a that sounds really amazing. Cool idea. That sounds It's a cool idea, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So this guy, yeah. So he sends me uh, an email on Facebook <laughs> and kind of goes, hey, would the commander in chief be interested in this? And we're like, oh, 
uh, that was out of the box uh, and we kind of thinking yeah that sounds cool let's let's do this and I'm so glad that I said yes to this gig because it's the first crossover gig that I did um, because I had at this point I was starting to get sort of regional mainstream media bus um, because you know you we were building we were building and building this bus and all of a sudden I got regional mainstream media bus I made some videos they did some articles and all of a sudden this in combination with the cultural event leads to me then uh, being picked up by a national TV show for the first time. So now you start to see how this gradual build up, you know, you start out of MySpace, you're doing all this grunt work, and now, you know, you get to Metal Press, and all of a sudden you get metal festivals, now there's a culture festival, and, you know, things are building gradually, and we're getting bigger and bigger things, which is amazing. Um, so I do this cultural festival over in Bergen, uh, and... <laughs> Yeah, and this was, I think, the first moment where I really and truly felt like a rock star, where all of this, that everything we had done on the internet and everything is now all of a sudden hitting me like, whoa. Because uh, I come there and, you know, my experience at this point was doing club and pub gigs, uh, doing my first metal festivals, you know, this type of stuff. And uh, I come to Bergen and I get picked up at the airport by a driver, like a guy who's like picking up artists. There is a personal assistant who is there to help the different artists. You have this like proper setup with all these people who are there. And then I get like a TV team following me around, uh, you know, <laughs> following me to my rehearsal space and documenting everything and interviewing me. And God only knows, Jeez. it was so amazing. It was insane. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It was so cool. Um, and then after this show and this show was important for me because i then shared the stage with a classical guitar player and i hadn't shared the stage with this guy or met this guy if it wasn't for the culture for this culture show right and that's when all of a sudden this collaboration with the classical guitar player where this relationship where this idea and all that stuff kind of starts okay. um so all of this is happening in in 2013 i do my first jam session you know live on, uh, live on tv you know it's like all kinds of weird things happening um wow. and uh yeah it's really truly really amazing and then when i was done with this culture festival i'm going to go back to the uk because i've been based in the uk for quite a while um and uh, and then i walked through the airport and i got like stopped by airport security because i had a bullet belt i had you know that's part of you know how i look like when i go on stage i had like bullet belt so the security people they stopped me they pulled me aside you know they're being kind of douchey really and and are wondering about this belt if that's i have nice. like weapons with me and being really silly and my manager then kind of says, well, look, she's on the front cover of this newspaper. This is a stage prop. And they got so embarrassed because they realized that, you know, yes, that is me and that is a stage prop and I'm wearing the stage prop in the photo. So they let us go through and I then walk through the terminal and it was so insane because yes, I was on the front cover of this newspaper and I then see myself on this front cover uh, as I walk through the terminal, because all these kiosks and all these shops, they have this front cover, you know, on display. So I kind of see myself, you know, looking wow. back at me from this front cover as I walk through the terminal. It was like insane. And I'm thinking, holy shit, I'm becoming famous. And holy shit, this thing is taking off. This is nuts. <laughs> so that was, and, and the truth is that there had been a bus going on for about a couple of years at this point. But because so much was happening online, um, a lot of it was kind of distant in a way. So, uh, so this was really the moment where I'm thinking, holy, holy crap! You know, this is this is this is nuts. <laughs> this is really crazy. Um, but the the big sort of turning point, funny enough, then happens when after this culture festival. Um, you know, I have then been jamming and I have shared the stage with this classical guitar player, and my manager kind of goes, "Hey, you know what? It would be cool if you played Sigurdarson on the guitar." 
And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know if that's possible to do on the guitar, but that's a cool idea. And then we're kind of thinking, hey, you know, this classical guitar player, maybe we can, you know, maybe he would be keen on doing like a cover version of Sigedevice and like a dual version, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden this idea germinates and we contact this guy and he's all game. He's like, yeah, you know, let's do that. And then five months practicing Sigedevice uh, trying to figure out, you know, can this be done on the guitar and how are we going to do this? We practiced via Skype because he was in Norway and I was in England. Wow. Mm. Now we released this thing and at that point I actually thought that maybe this was my last release because in terms of finances when you are an independent musician I've never been signed I wasn't signed at this point either um, so we've been doing crowdfunding campaigns you know we've been doing things in a really grassroots type of fashion I've been lucky because you know there have been people who then have been willing to pay for me to record singles and EPs and stuff but you know obviously at this point it's like okay we have so much bust when are someone going to pick this up um, so I go in and I record Sigena Weiss and I'm thinking, okay, in a best case scenario that this will open up the door to more collaborations in a worst case scenario, it may be the last sort of recording, uh, like proper studio recording that I'm doing, you know, so I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen afterwards. We then released this thing and I got super lucky. I got super lucky because Sigena Weiss was picked up by Guitar World. And uh, the yeah. bus that we, yeah, so that was super lucky. Like um, the guy who picked it up, David Fanelli, that's his name. He saw the video in his feed. Uh, thank God he saw it in his feed and he then decides to run with it and post it all over the place. And this was absolutely like a life-changing moment because the bus that we had then built up until then is just kind of exploded. You know what I mean? Um, so that was, it was a lot of work, obviously practicing that piece. It was a lot of work and it was, um, I dislocated my collarbone repeatedly. Um, the guitar that I was using wasn't really right for this type of thing. Really? Uh, there were, yeah, there were a lot of um, physical wow. challenges and things. I don't know how to read sheet music, so I was, you know, looking at the, looking at the score, looking at the sheet music, and then writing the names of every single note um, and mm. figuring out where to play it on the guitar. You know, so there were there were so many challenges wow. with learning that piece. Um, I memorized it completely. Uh, since I don't read, I don't read sheet music. Um, and we then were practicing on Skype, you know, with this classical guitar player, you know, arranging the song and going through the runs and figuring out who plays what, etc., etc. It was a very massive project mm -hmm. and a very risky project because it wasn't metal, and the brand up until that point was built on being a metal artist. So we had no idea how people would react to it. So when we then release it and Guitar World runs with it. And we see that charts all over the place. It was absolutely, I mean, I cried, you know, I cried because I wasn't really sure um, what was going to happen next when we put this thing out there. So it was a very emotional uh, moment, very emotional moment, really crazy moment. Um, and it changed everything because all of a sudden I got the funding to do a proper album from start to finish. I only had a week to track this album. Um, and we decided that we were gonna go and make a classical a classical album because a classical album, I mean, it was the classical thing that had charted and the comments underneath the video was, hey, we can't wait to see more of this. And I'm thinking more, this was supposed to be a one-off. So all of a sudden you see my focus changing, you know, a lot happened in 2013 with, I would say, creative experimentation, but the classical mm -hmm. music became a very defining moment where all of a sudden I'm turning off the distortion on my guitar. Um, and, you know, now I'm focusing on that. 
um, and I believe very strongly that that was the right decision. But obviously, it was a very educational process for me to then spend all these months practicing and learning these pieces, obviously, and, and totally going into a new, into a new thing, basically. Yeah. Uh, but it was amazing to see to see the bus. I mean, all of a sudden, I did the talk show round. Um, I did TV shows over in Norway with close to like a million TV viewers and things. It was nuts, really. It was uh. so cool. Um, so a lot of work. I mean, the thing, uh, getting sort of known and having success for that kind of a thing it's I mean it's cool to have success but with if you're doing classical music is is a very tough type of a thing where you know you have to practice for four to eight hours every day um and uh, you have to have your sort of you have to be focused as well mentally uh because you're going to be playing very difficult and recording very difficult things uh but this was very pretty much I would say a defining moment for me as a guitar player because now I became a total guitar geek obviously <laughs> changed my guitar uh, to be able to play more hours so I got a lighter guitar a slimmer guitar and uh, and classical kind of became uh, very much the focus. And then in 2016, I then, after eight years as a musician, got contacted by a major record label, uh, who are you know, the, excuse me, the biggest record label, the biggest the biggest record label in the world, who then have seen they saw my music videos on YouTube, and they then want to you know invest in the classical music. So then I worked with them for like eight months, and that's when I get sick and I get the parasite. <laughs> I know it's crazy so eight years we've been working our asses off building everything from scratch and doing it all and <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and going through all of these ups and downs and then boom I get like a parasite out of nowhere it was like wait what <laughs> that yeah, was not really. what I expected at all whatsoever because I'd been so focused too you know so then all of a sudden it's a, it's a different thing you know all of a sudden I'm not playing the guitar at all because you know I got the shoulder injury so I'm not even from practicing uh, four to six to eight hours a day uh being all in that kind of sort yeah. of mental space i'm not playing at all you know what i mean uh so that was a very that was like the first interruption all of a sudden my nails grew out on my hand you know and all of a sudden i had feminine looking hands rather than having a worker <laughs> a worker's hands uh so that that is like a completely new chapter altogether where i didn't even know if i would ever be able to actually hold a guitar again so being able to then uh, to then actually hold the guitar again and to be able to get back up again from that in terms of being able to play making a new classical release all that type of stuff you know was a very very big deal so that is kind of it's a it's not necessarily a deep dive in the all the different technical aspects of the guitar but this is kind of my journey so it's it's quite you know it's a different journey and it's uh it's you know it's, it's weird, your journey. It's it's you. Yeah, and exactly. You have yeah. your own unique story. I'm really, I mean, it's so precious to me, the ability to pick up my own instrument and play it, to not have yeah. that for a chunk of time or mm. not be to the fear or like the uncertainty of, can I ever do this again? That's, that's huge yeah. for a guitar player, for a musician, any musician, you know, questioning. Uh, I'm an, what was it like, like once you were able to get, because you said you you sort of came out of it in 2020. So while the rest of the world is sort of like sort of closing down and getting like, oh, we don't know what to do. You're yeah. sort of coming, you're blossoming, like you're coming up and you're and you're yeah. you're coming alive, so to speak, in 2020. I mean, what did that feel like to be able to finally produce stuff and get back to what you love so much, you know? You know, I would say ridiculously emotional. Um, it's uh, a lot of crying, I would sort of say, when I didn't know if I would ever be able to play the classical again. Uh, so 
in 2018 I kind of forced myself back to recording because I'm thinking Jesus I need to have a new album out I need to do a new launch and if I'm gonna if I'm not gonna do anything with music I'm going to become depressed so I need to do something even if I'm just spending like five minutes you know so I was lucky right. because I had a pre-sonus endorsement uh, they're an audio company based in the United States oh, and fantastic. I had some home recording yeah they're great and I had some audio recording like home recording equipment from them uh, so I kind of dragged myself back over to my desk and turn on my computer and I just kind of started working on some acoustic music hmm. um, and at that point actually with my very first acoustic album all the guitars had already been recorded before I got ill so it was more like um, you know focusing on the, the, the vocals and hmm. putting up some lead guitars here and there and things like that but it was still a lot of work because I wasn't well and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. You know, in late 2018, I was still not strong enough to actually wear my acoustic guitar. I tried to wear it with the strap and I couldn't do it. So wow. I'm thinking, wow, wow, this is uh, this is this is bad, you know. Um, so I knew that I kind of had to I had to build muscles in my upper body, build muscles in my shoulder. I knew that I had to go through that type of a process and that I had to be able to establish that kind of a routine before I could even think about, um, you know, practicing. So, um, so I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden I realized that, oh my God, I'm going to be able to play again because the fingers were doing well all the time. It was this whole thing of actually wearing a guitar, sitting with a guitar, getting into practice routines. So when I then was able to do that, you know, gee, it was really emotional. I was absolutely crying. And I remember looking at Elizabeth with like tears, just like flowing down and I'm looking at her, I'm like, oh my God, I can play this again, <laughs> you know? But uh, in the meantime, I couldn't even listen to any of my old recordings without becoming really sad. You know, I couldn't listen to what I had been working on before I got ill because then I started crying. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so tragic. I don't want to listen to my own recordings anymore. So to then actually go from that to all of a sudden be able to actually play, practice, and then, you know, start putting things out, you know, wow, you know, it's really, I'm, I'm, I feel so grateful, but I certainly feel like I've gotten more emotional after I went through all of this long, you know, period with, uh, with, with illness and shoulder injury and all that type of stuff. But yeah, I, I'm so appreciative of the fact that I can play my guitar again and do this sort of a thing at all, to be completely honest. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deadly parasite. Yeah. Elizabeth is standing here saying it's a deadly parasite and yes, it is. Well, yeah. Well, talk about not not only what well, well, I mean, mortality becomes a question that obviously is the ultimate. But you know, just thinking about how you'd work so hard and you've dedicated yourself to this craft, and then to know I might not be able to do it. I can only imagine. I, it sounds like uh, it was a rough period. Yeah, I mean, the worst part was that it felt like I was being stabbed in my shoulder. So it's not necessarily so that something went off. I mean, it's like the shoulder, like the arm was just kind of hanging there. So I needed help with getting dressed and help with making a cup of tea. You know, I needed help with basic things. Uh, and it was painful all the time. So the first thing was getting like, basically being patient, and then the pain stopping. Uh, being able to actually um, do like a proper arm movement where you actually like um, move your arm up to your head, you know, that you just have good movement in your arm. 
and to then be able to practice with the band so that you start developing muscles it, it was a very very gradual thing so I think the only reason I was able to deal with it mentally was that I started focusing on other things I was signing petitions I you know all of a sudden I actually volunteered my time to do like charity work in my local community so rather than sitting there and just thinking about myself you know I was spending a lot of time talking to my siblings I kind of reached out in a way and I think that that was the thing that kept me going yeah it's i think that that is i think that is the only way to to kind of do it because if you're going to sit and you're going to think about the fact that you're in pain or think about the fact that you're ill um it's like you can't really do that you're going to become depressed or something right so i just focused on all kinds of things that was outside of myself and and i and i focused a lot on having empathy really and i mean of course i have empathy but you know acting on empathy really and constantly projecting energy outwards and then all of a sudden you know i got better and all of a sudden i was back to thinking oh whoa i need to turn my business around i need to transition to email marketing and all of a sudden i have all kinds of things that are music related guitar related and business related on my mind uh, because, you know, now all of a sudden I'm well again. But I think if you have a period in time where, you know, you have health problems and everything crashes, I think the only way you can get out of that is to just focus on other people, really. Focus okay, so outward. Yep. Yeah. Wait, here comes Elizabeth. And she has something to say. I, I just want to add something to that. And that is that you felt that you were much stronger than you were. Yeah. Because in the beginning, you could only maybe record half an hour, and I was sitting there, and you put me in charge of those uh, acoustic recordings, and I, you, you needed to sleep 18 hours after working for half an hour. Yep. And then after some months, you felt, oh, my God, I'm ready. Let's do this. Mom, book me for some shows. And I knew that she, <laughs> I knew that she wouldn't be able to deliver two songs before she fainted. So it, it, it was very challenging for the whole family. And my husband, he's a professional coach in sports. And all the siblings, we all saw that she wasn't ready, but she felt she was ready, you know, because she didn't sleep 20 hours a day. She only slept 18 hours a day. <laughs> so it was yeah. very challenging to, 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 for everybody to then keep the momentum. And, and, you know, it was two steps ahead and then one step back and then you did too much and then you slept for another month. Yeah. So it was, it was a very dramatic thing, worthy of a book wow. and a whole TV series, to be honest. But, but we managed to get her there together. But uh, yeah, you were very eager. Yeah. And how do you hold back somebody who has been, you know, in bed for so long and they want to go there and, but if they go too fast, then they're going to crash again. Yeah. Right. That was so wow. interesting. You're, you know, what? you really, that does sound like a movie so far. Yeah. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Does it sound like a yeah, movie. Yeah. It does. <laughs> it does. And we're, yeah. we're only halfway through. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, so it was, uh, yeah, no, so for, um, I think the, the hardest year, um, just to sort of put that out there if other people go through the same type of thing uh, was in 2019 because at that point I had uh, you know I got the parasite appeared literally on Thanksgiving 2016 the shoulder got injury um, on in early February 2017 in 2019 I'm still not able to actually establish a proper routine and now I'm really starting to kind of go whoa you know because you need to have consistency um, and if you can't have consistency when it comes to when you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the morning, you know, practicing or, or exercising, because my cornerstone was like, I need to be able to consistently exercise. When I'm able to consistently exercise, then I will get into consistent practicing, because if I'm going to go into consistent practicing without the shoulder being fixed, it's just a moment of time before the shoulder goes again. So I need consistency with exercising and then comes the guitar playing. 
So to not be to then struggle to have consistency to to exercise and to be okay. Now I'm going to lose weight. Now I'm going to you know work on uh, strengthening my shoulder. And then you know you have like I don't know a month or something when you can't exercise or something. That was tough. So uh, so no. So I so I think being to not be kind of like stuck in a personal anarchy when you know you as a human being you're trying to have a routine and you're trying to actually have some consistency like. That was, I think, the toughest thing. It's like I was in personal chaos because I couldn't really have any kind of structure at all. And I think if you are a structured person like myself and you kind of have to be very structured to be able to play the kind of things that I played, that was, I think, the toughest of all things. But once I was able to then, you know, I was I kept on trying and trying and trying and trying to establish a routine. And then once I had that in, it's like in early 2020, I write in my diary that finally I'm able to have an eight hour workday. And then all of a sudden I'm writing, now I had a whole week, now I had a whole month, you know, so then all of a sudden you're really kind of getting back to things and now you're back to a normal activity level. And gee, I was so happy when that happened. It's like, it's like a highlight, you know what I mean? Mm. Like being able to move yeah. my shoulder properly or my arm properly, that was something that I regarded oh, a highlight. And being able to actually play my guitar again, that was emotional beyond belief. So yeah, I'm very happy now, of course, it feels like it's all a distant dream. Like, oh, you know, this happened, you know. But when it happened, you know, it was it was very real, obviously, and it, and it went on for a long time too. That's, uh, thank you for sharing. Really, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, uh, one of the, you know, one of our motivations for doing this is so, people out there that want to be musicians yeah. can kind of understand what it takes and kind of understand um, that it's not going to be easy necessarily and that's okay. Yeah, I think it's important to share parts of my story because, or, or all of my story for the simple reason that when I then got injured, I was trying to find statistics and numbers on what's the average retirement age for musicians or virtuoso players, uh, how are things when it comes to injuries you know are there any official numbers any guys or anything and i couldn't find anything at all um with athletes you can find everything you know with athletes you have an average like um you know when people normally peak in terms of age um mm. and you know what people ought to be eating what are the most you know um like injuries that people get you know so you have a lot of statistics and a lot of data but when it comes to musicians and music clearly people don't bother gathering it so I ended up looking at forums That's essentially true. and you know and looking at what are people talking about um, and I also think that you know if you if you're able to achieve a certain amount of success I'm taking it for granted that people probably want to guard their secrets you know they don't want people to know that they've been through all kinds of things uh, so so yeah I think it's important to be honest and open about it because then other musicians will see it um, and if other people are in going through difficult moments, maybe they can then find solace and inspiration in my journey, for example. You see my point? Yeah. So I do not yeah. believe. Yeah, I don't support each other. Yeah. You know? Like we yeah, need to be exactly. able to understand like what. Yeah. I mean, really, we do. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing. Like why it's important. Why is it? Why is Ramon the only guitar player I then consider my uh, guitar mentor and why is he so unique and why is it important to mention him because he's one of those guitar teachers who will then show you his secrets he will show you his licks he will show you his runs you know he's not hiding those things most people that i encountered who give guitar lessons they try to hide as much as possible they give you the scale they don't give you the lick you know i read an interview with a famous guitar player where he said that he had tendonitis and apparently he eats bananas you know so <laughs> it's like people people who get injured i think a lot of times they don't want to talk about it or they talk about 
it and they just try to trivialize it and they try to be funny about right. it maybe because they don't want people to think that oh maybe this person is permanently damaged or maybe this person you know maybe, maybe we shouldn't hire this person for a job or maybe we shouldn't give this mm. person a gig or whatever but mm. it is what it is you know I think you need to be open about things um, in my case my hands are not the problem the problem was in the left shoulder and when I then managed to finally get into a proper um, exercise routine then all of a sudden you know that isn't a problem anymore so it's an fixable problem you know that then something happens and you can then if you're patient and focused you can sort it out and i think the best way to I make guess. sure that this doesn't happen which is why it's you know uh, the way to then make sure that this doesn't happen is to lift weights you know i didn't know this but if you lift weights and you actually build your um the strength in your upper body beforehand then obviously you know the stronger you are the more equipped you are to deal with something such as a parasite or any other health issues you know I was exercising, but I never right. lifted weights, you know, and what happens if you get the parasite a lot of times is that other parts of your body will be affected as well. It's like the parasite attacks things that are vulnerable. Um, yeah. So a good way to then make sure that you are just strong to sort of deal with anything that might get thrown your way is to actually do strength training. Uh, which a lot of women don't want to do and a lot of people don't want to do you know it's tough and things like that but it's an investment it's a long-term investment which is why it's an important thing to do yeah i um having dealt with health issues myself in those moments you realize there's nothing more valuable than your health yeah exactly it really yeah it has such a big so impact a, it's an important thing to think about on the art it does like dude think about it like when because you and I know each other's personal histories bro like think about the times that we've been out of it or sick or whatever like we haven't been able to produce when that's going on and you know he and I've had some health issues so it's right. just it, it's just it, you don't think about it until it happens to you um yeah <laughs> you know it, it's incredible um I'm really glad you are talking about it because the the taking care of because your body whatever instrument you do even if you're a vocalist or whatever like whatever instrument your body is part of that instrument no matter what instrument Absolutely. you have to be yep. present there for it so like if you don't mm. take care of yourself you don't take care of your body then you you know it's part it's your instrument you're not taking care of your instrument you can't just all you can't just leave your guitar on the ground you know <laughs> yeah, yeah that is very very true but it's also important to then focus right so okay you are holding a guitar, you're putting pressure on your shoulder. So what should you exercise? Posture. Should you go for cardio? Should you go for stretching? You know, should, yeah, should you yeah, focus on those things? Should you focus on actually strengthening your shoulder? So yeah. I, I wasn't interested in doing that because I was thinking, well, I'm a woman. I don't want to lift weights. You know, I'm going to jog. You know, I don't want to do I don't want to do that type of exercising. And then you, you start realizing that, OK, some things in life, you don't want to do it. And then you get forced to do it anyway. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think <laughs> weightlifting, if you are. Yeah. And I, and I think strength training is like one of those things. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I mean, you you brought up things that haven't come up, which is yeah, really which we appreciate. And um, yeah, that's we, good. Yeah, like we're we're able to learn. We say this all the time from everyone that comes on, and if we're yeah. learning something, that means you know our listeners are going to learn something, and people are going to be inspired, yeah. enlightened, and that's really important. So thank you for, you know, talking about you know marketing and building a brand and. The yeah. best way that you found to go about it just talking about you know taking care of your physical health and you know talking about the process thank you i mean all this stuff is very valuable information and you that's know, you're good talking about yeah being willing to share it 
yeah I think that's important as I already said you know I don't think it's like I was offered to do my first guitar clinic and my instinct and this is like a few years back my instinct was to then just send a Facebook message to people who I know or kind of sort of know who are doing these type of things all the time so I just send you know like a friendly sort of message like hey you know I'm just wondering what is the average rate for clinics and what would you sort of recommend and then I get this foggy answer the person didn't want to tell me anything you know and it's like the person is protecting you know whatever and I'm thinking Jesus you know this is a horrible uh it, it's a shitty industry in the sort of sense that nobody wants to share anything so people don't want to share uh their licks and their scales and their practice routines people don't want to talk about their injuries people don't want to talk about business and people don't even want to talk about yeah this is the kind of a rate that you know you should that people charge on average so you have no guidelines like nothing at all you know what i mean right. and that's what the, and, and a lot of that is just musicians not sharing basically yeah. you know people are guarding all information like their life depended on it and well, if you think it, about it that actually makes it that makes it easier to exploit musicians yeah if you think about it there's no know, musicians that union that i'm aware of is there i don't think there is i don't know there uh, is a just, musicians union over here in the uk but that of course is very political so hmm. they uh so so it's not just you know it would be great if you could have a, a union that was just about the music obviously that would be good yeah just to be able yeah. to have a forum for musicians to come and and get a handle on the business because the business end of it is a lifetime of learning just in and of itself and that's aside from practicing your instrument so it's it's oh, yeah. Yeah. to be able to network and to be able to like have other open-minded individuals that want to share the back end of the industry and want to share their yeah. stories because the i mean the whole like i mean ryan said it already too it's just it's one of our goals we want we want aspiring musicians to have an outlet and have a, a, a community and we that's why we're building ours you know and it um i really do appreciate like that just well all the details of the story the story is so inspiring too I mean, you 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 literally you know you fight back from from quite a bit of physical like issues and health problems yeah. and and to keep <laughs> yeah, yeah. going i mean i think again it speaks to that determination so many musicians that we meet are very very driven some of the most driven people i've ever met in my life it's it's so inspiring yeah. for me to see the positivity level yeah too. like i it's very evident that you and your mother maybe i'm assuming your entire family are very positive people and i think yeah. it's very important to have that positive outlook on things yeah, you know, that is actually very important. I think if you look at my music, though, if you look at the metal music, all of it is dystopian. And then you look at the acoustic music and all of it is sad. So it's so, yeah, I do have a tendency to write sad music and to get, you know, like just yesterday, uh, some fans sent me like a video about some political issue and, I'm, and I got so upset. I'm like, ah, you know, so I do get temperamental about things that, you know, I feel are, you know, human rights abuses or bad things out there, especially, you know, authoritarianism and you know the state being really abusive and things like that so i mean a lot of my, like most of my metal music is based around these topics anyway so i can might as well uh just you know um uh, sort of address it slightly but it's uh, so yes i do write a lot of negative stuff actually i've been thinking i need to write happy music well, but no but uh, hang but on can positive, I, may i add can i add to that though because the thing about yeah. music is even even music you might call it negative and and i understand where you're coming yeah. from when you use that label but even music like yeah. that can be yeah. uplifting like you you know i think you said the ramones earlier use them as an example you know at a punk yeah. rock show you know with the kind of lyrics yeah. the kind of music is harsh right but then you have people in the pit yeah it's true yeah other. 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, that's yeah, the that's thing. This, yeah, yeah. We have a special gift as musicians to even with that kind of music, lift people up. Yeah. It's incredible. So I'm sorry. I know I cut you off. Yeah. The t- I just, I want to point that as like, you don't, you don't have to, f- I don't, I don't think that you're doing this. I'm saying, I'm saying this to other musicians and every musician, yeah. you don't have to feel bad about yeah. your genre choice or like what it is yeah. that you're hearing good or bad, because it's like, you just need to, yeah. we just need to connect with the art and get it out there and, and keep, if you want to do happy music or whatever, uh, yeah. we get some ukulele strums in there, whatever you want to do, like you can do. <laughs> Whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. The expression, the expression is important too. You know? That's what's yeah. important. You're expressing an emotion, and yeah. sometimes you're going to be expressing about something that's not necessarily a good thing, but there's an emotion. Yeah. But needs to be expressed. It. You know, people need right. that. Too. Yeah, that is true. But I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say that. It's interesting. Like I, I also sing, um, and I've been trained as a singer since um, since I was a teenager. I'm lucky in that regard because my mother, she is an opera singer, and she was trained by um, Ida Menigeli, an opera singer in Italy, who then was trained by Elvira de Hidalgo, who was Maria Callas's singing teacher. Whoa. So you have like a proper sort of thread there, a proper yeah, thread. there's like a lineage um, there, and that's why. It's a proper lineage. And so I grew up, this is why I grew up with classical music. I said I was forced by the classical music when, you know, I was into pop. Uh, but the good thing about this is that by chance, in a way, we kind of figured out my vocal range. And even though my dream was to sound like Angela Gosso and be a proper growler when I was a teenager, um, I then started taking singing lessons. And after many, many, many years of taking singing lessons, now uh, I'm finally kind of now I'm singing the Queen of the Night aria, the ha 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 and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the reason why I'm bringing it up is that when I then got injured in my shoulder, obviously, and everything kind of sucked, you know, what I focused on, I focused on my voice. Mm. So when I then had some time when I could, you know, stand on my legs, you know, I just kind of focused on, oh, you know, I'm going to sing. And what has been proven actually is that. Uh, if you sing it makes you happy it's not really you know it, it actually creates happiness or and i'm not sure what it's called endorphins or whatever so and i even read this you know in psychology today that you know when you sing you will become happy mm-hmm. so having something like that you know if you play another instrument you know even if you don't think that you're a great singer or whatever actually just singing makes you happy you know it creates happiness um and that is a, a good thing to put out there as well you know for people who who might be looking for something that can boost their happiness so i've been so obviously you know if you listen to the acoustic music and the stuff that i've been doing while i then was injured you know i was kind of you know focusing a lot on the voice because you know i didn't know what was going to happen on the guitar front um and the funny thing about that and the uplifting thing about that is that i'm now now i am sort of ready to actually record this type of repertory like the coloratura soprano repertory so now rather than then falling into a depression because you know oh I have pain in my shoulder, my life sucks, you know, all of a sudden you get a new feather you can kind of put in your hat because you now have a skill that you've developed. So you can kind of say, hey, I can actually do this as well. You see my point? Um, And then you take something that is, yeah, then you take something that's really negative in a way, but now you have this light that kind of keeps you going, that makes you happy because it makes you happy to sing. And you come out of a really difficult period uh, and now you have like a skill set, you know what I mean? I really love Which that is, because uh, it's, yeah. it's really it, impressive. It resonates with me so much because I am I would consider myself a multi instrumentalist. I identify yeah. as several different types of instrumentalists. That's never come up. 
It's come up lots of times. Thank you. I want to say it again. But the point is, um, there have been times in my life when like maybe a preferred instrument or an instrument that I really want to play, I don't have access to, or it's just a sad fact, but you know, I haven't always had access to piano, which is, you know, one of my core instruments. So, okay. It's like, it's, it was the checklist you sort of had in your mind when you thought about like the guitar, like the songwriting tool, like that's how I looked at it too. It was like, you know, it's a songwriting tool. Let me just pick it up, see what I can do. And I gained yep. so much from that process of discovery with the instrument and learning what sound, like what I can manipulate with sound with this completely new yep. mode, you know, cause I was classically trained on the piano and I had a lot of that theory and a lot of that technique, wow, and a lot yeah. of the nerdy Ooh. stuff, but it was the feel that I was, I felt I was missing and the guitar gave me that. Yep there's just something about the way you can bend strings and express yourself. So, but I really love this idea of like, you know, you couldn't play the guitar. So, you know, you're still, you weren't done with music, you know, you were still going to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to, um, you know, and, and we, we met a vocalist who uh, essentially lost her voice and decided to work on the guitar. So it's like, or or play guitar, I think, or play bass, I think in a band, I think is what it was, but I just, I love that. I love that we can show that musicians like listen if it one instrument if it can't get if whatever you broke your hand in a car accident whatever it is you know you can go pick up yep. the, ryan's gonna laugh but the harmonica or the <laughs> whatever <laughs> instrument whatever instrument I'm you not want laughing about that yeah whatever the harmonica is great instrument you should try it dude uh it's, an, it's an inspiring thought to know that um you are always doing something productive mm. to yeah you know keep the ball rolling and to know that you were you were doing something to you know to make it happen in any way you could you didn't give up to me that's good no no i haven't and and another thing as well though is you can also play computer which of course is that is totally different to you know i have like no sort of background in in programming or being a techie at all but uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, I, I, I was writing this song and I really wanted a bass um, and, and I didn't have one. And then I'm thinking, hey, I can just create an artificial one. So now all of a sudden, rather than being like, oh, you know, I, I wish I had this instrument. I don't have this instrument. It's like, well, what can I do with MIDI? You know, and that's like a completely different thing. So, I mean, if, if all if all else is lost, you know, you can always you can always get into electronic music. <laughs> you can always start programming, you know, like if you can't. And, and there sure. are people. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you get like properly injured and stuff, you can still use modern recording tools and technology to actually get your vision and your music out there. You don't even have to be playing necessarily. You see my point? I really so appreciate that, that you is really, that. that. That is like the yeah but really using using the tools that you have on that's so important i can't tell you how many years i was Mm. like caught up because i didn't have this specific piece of gear you know as i don't know if just me my mindset whatever i loved gear and tech so like got obsessed with it and like it really was like a a stop to the art but it's like just being satisfied with like okay i have tools to create and record use the tools you've got yeah get what you can done and stop focusing on what you can't the cassette be. player was the amp. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You, My you didn't let anything stop you. Yeah, like, you I really made it happen. That. That's very important. Yes. Yeah. That's a very important quality to have. Just to 
to being one. Yeah. First time post endorsement. We were it. so afraid anyone in the music industry would find out you didn't ever own an amp. Oh yeah, this is actually funny. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't know if you guys heard that, but we, we were so afraid that anyone in the music business would find out that I didn't even own an amp. So I didn't have an amp until you know I had um, an endorsement. But the funny thing and the cool thing is I then, like after this happened, I read an interview, I think it was, Oh, with who was it? Was it Arctic Monkeys? I'm not sure. I mean, it's like one of these indie bands here in the UK. All I know is that they have a, um, uh, you know, they, they have a front figure who I think has like African heritage or something. Uh, but this guy, he went in an interview and he said that he didn't have an amp until he got an endorsement. And then I'm thinking, hey, it's not just me. You know, there are other people out there who have nothing. And then they and then they still start a band and they still do their thing. And then, you know, they get they get an endorsement and then it's like, yeah, <laughs> ta-da, now I have an amp. You know what I mean? But you created uh, no, that course, reality. You know, it can be a bit embarrassing, you know. Yeah, but I mean, of course, it can be a bit embarrassing if you don't even have an amp you know you, you don't want people to know you know it's like but uh, but it is a good story and I mean to be honest I mean most a lot of times when you actually look at artists and musicians I mean how many artists start out with loads of money in the bank you know very few people right so right. coming from a humble background where you don't have money for gear you don't have you know uh, money to do this and that you know I mean I was award nominated for the first time back in let's 2011 and I couldn't afford to go to my own award nomination you know and I don't think it should be ashamed wow. to say that because I think that is that is the truth that's the reality and that is then I think a motivational factor and something for other people too you know what I mean there are yeah, people who yeah, go to I, the red carpet who are broke you know what I mean so let's just completely. call it what it is yeah well there's yeah it's funny like there's nothing wrong with the truth I mean I don't think anyone should be judged for it or I mean you know it is what it is right yeah and uh you know we appreciate you <laughs> we appreciate how candid you've been really um, yeah you get yeah. you get it all <laughs> you get everything boom <laughs> yeah and that that's um uh, we appreciate it we appreciate that we know our listeners will really appreciate it too yeah that's good that's cool um so what uh projects are you know, would you direct people toward right now? If people want to become a fan of you, where would you tell them to start? Well, I think they would already be after they listen to this, but musically. <laughs> well, there's a lot, you know, I have essentially become like a multi-genre artist. So these days it's, it's not necessarily so that it's like one thing. I have three genres that I am officially active in. And that is, you know, I started out with the metal music, people can still buy that you know um then i have been doing the classical that is the big like that's the thing that has been the most i would say commercially successful um so i released you know a, a new classical thing last year with toccata and fugue moonlight you know you're gonna you have the toccata and fugue song or piece um currently i'm back to working with john haywood he's an amazing producer he's the one i worked with when i, I did these sort of recreations of toccata and fugue and moonlight sonata and now we're working on uh the Rache, um and Ocitrinist so you know it's like the classical stuff and then of course you have my acoustic music that you know I recorded myself completely and totally on my computer with my pre-sonus gear when I was ill and sick um, so there are four albums in three different genres that people can go and check out um, the best place to go is my website commandermusic.com um, that is the best place to go to, to the get website my music. was commandermusic.com 
yeah commandermusic.com and there people can then there people can find everything um of course you know if people want to see my music videos i mean i just released a brand new song with distortion i did a guitar video for uh presonus that they put out on their youtube channel where you hear me using yeah it's all digital amplifiers everything is fake except from uh the di for my guitar and my brother who you know i i used his vocals in in the bridge section but everything from the effects to you know the uh, weird orchestra things in there to i mean absolutely everything is fake from the um from the uh pre-sonus like what they have uh i programmed drums for the very first time in my life oh, yeah? so you have a drum there you have bass you have everything and oh, all yeah. of it is just is sampled all, all of it is media and samples yeah, yeah, yeah. so cool yeah yeah so that's me doing something totally different that i have like that's like a first for me but it was cool to kind of do that type of an experiment Hmm. um and uh, what's interesting about it is that if you then are a young person and you can't afford to pay for an amplifier guess what you probably have a computer because a lot of school work you know is all it's all happening online um and then you can go and you can get the digital amp and then you have like 10 or god only knows 20 amps or something if you add plugins and before you know it. Mm-hmm. yeah all of a sudden you have your gear you have your amp and you can get on with recording you know what i mean so that's quite incredible mm-hmm. so there's there's a lot of stuff you know i'm always at this point in time i'm always working on different things so the main focus right now is the opera singing but then of course you know we are as i already said in january i then put out this uh, heavy metal thing that was my first song with distortion in like six years or something so there are loads of different things happening at the same time the best way to follow me and support me is to go to my website as we talk about social media and the the unpredictable nature of it so go to commandermusic.com sign up for the email list or check out my discography you know everything is on there really and then people can go to youtube of course and and look at my videos but you know i don't control youtube so people can go and look at the videos and then go to my website (laughs) you know yeah well thank you for your time thank you for uh, what were you saying no, I said, uh, hi, I, I was asking, what were you saying? That was me. I, I threw in some, I just oh, yeah. said, uh, go to the website first, but I, I timed it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think there is a lag. Go on to the, the website. Internet. Go to the website first, first is what I said. Yeah. And, and Ryan, you were thanking yeah, yeah. her. I want to express my gratitude as well. Um, just thank you for your presence and thank you for all the things we talked about. Because it, again, it's very valuable to us and our listeners. Yeah. And it's just been a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you. Well, well thank uh, you. We'll play one of your songs after the um, the outro, so that yeah. after people listen to the conversation, they can hear one of your songs. Well, thank you very much. It was very nice talking with you guys. It is uh, it's always so nice when um, when I when I get to sort of answer questions about the music and things you know it's different you know like interviews are different from one another some interviews you do and it's just very superficial um sometimes you do interviews and it's a bit like but but this interview was really great because as you said it was a conversation and it was so all about the music and about you know what it is like to be a musician so i really enjoyed doing this and i'm glad that you guys appreciate the content that's a huge compliment thank you so much thank you thank you thank you for being part of this because again you're, you're going to inspire someone you're going to you, you definitely have said something that's going to help help a lot of people out there so thank you and folks oh, um, thank you so much uh, folks we're just we're so happy that you joined us as well you know where to find us right now we're at anchor.fm slash inside the sound and i am going to play that outro here we go let me end the recording this way and
Thank you.